Dr. Carol Francis Talk Radio Show. Let's make life happen together with authors, scientists, researchers, both inside the box and outside the box of understanding so that you can live a life full of your success, curiosity, enjoyment, happiness, and richness of life in every respect. Let's go beyond our limits and let's help others go beyond their limits as well. Welcome. Our guest, Joni. Oh, I'm going to do this wrong. Sibinski. Did I do that right, Joni? <laughs> you did that perfectly. Oh, well, this is what she says in one of her books. We truly are creators with amazing powers. For too long, we have let others control our destinies and beliefs about ourselves and our world. It is time to vanquish the illusion and take back our power. The world cannot change if those of us with vision don't fight for it. Joni, you are here to help us learn how to empower ourselves in so many different ways so that we can be even more and more the victor, more and more the warrior, more and more the power, that primary influence upon a world that desperately needs benevolence and kindness and goodness to be its guiding force. So, Oh, there's so much to say about the materials you've written and the books that you've written. And I do want to say before you come on, everybody, you can see one of her websites at intuitivedirections.net, intuitivedirections.net. And so therefore, you've all been baptized into how you can get in touch with her. But let's get in touch with her in terms of who she is. Joni, how do you want to start us off? You know, that this is part of the path of recovery from abuse and trauma after abuse and trauma, after abuse and trauma. So you're going to give us all these tools about facing the darkness of the past and move forward and creating all sorts of amazing wonders in our future. So where do you want to start us in this journey today? I think where I would like to start is letting people know that their past does not have to define the current moment or the future, that we all have a history Some of our histories are much darker than others, but those Mm -hmm. histories have created us. Those histories have etched in us, or let us say faceted us, so that our light can shine out if we allow it to. We can allow what happened in our past to overshadow our light, dim it, make us feel less worthy than someone else. Or we can let it come out and teach us compassion and empathy, help us to touch others' lives, help us to truly become the victor that we are meant to be. When we give our power to someone else, whether it's an abuser or a savior, we diminish ourselves. If There's a, in one of my books, I think it's the second book in the Ariana series, I talk about an Indian belief, a Native American belief, that when you are abused or hurt, the abuser takes a piece of your soul and inserts a piece of their angry soul. And you have a choice to leave that there and become your abuser or to do some work to release that person through love and take back your soul. And that to me is empowerment. And I really love the way that was put 
in that we all have a choice to keep reliving our abuses. And I think we all do it in in various ways. I know for me, I grew up in a very abusive, physically abusive family, physically, verbally, emotionally abusive family. And I carried it over to my first marriage where I thought that was the way somebody showed love was by abusing you, controlling you. When I finally was blessed with the ability to realize that I had to get out of this circumstance because if I didn't, I would not survive, that enabled me to begin to acknowledge that abuse was not love, that abuse was pain. And why I say I was blessed with the knowledge that I had to get out was my husband took it to the extreme and held me at gunpoint while taking me to the desert to blow my brains out. Mm. And I leaped out of a moving car to get away from him. And if I, I now realize this at the time, I don't think I realized it fully, but if he had not carried it to that extreme, I would probably have remained in an extremely abusive marriage forever. I kept thinking that somehow this is what I deserved because that was all I knew. I kept thinking that somehow I could make it better if I was better, if I was a better wife, if I was nicer, if I was kinder, if I was anything I could think of at that moment, that somehow then my husband would love me enough to stop hurting me. But then when he didn't hurt me, I wondered if he still loved me. So I was trapped in this old, what I call programming, this old belief system. And what I needed to do once I left was begin to analyze how much of my past I wanted to bring with me by how much of my past I believed. And how you do that literally is you don't close off that little voice inside you that is always talking to you. That little voice when you drop a class thinks, well, you stupid fool, what makes you think anybody should love you? Some of us have that voice talking to us. Oh, yeah. And if it goes, and if it goes unexamined, then we still believe it. We accept it. We allow it to be the undercurrent of everything we do. But you can examine it. You can listen to it and ask yourself, when was the first time I heard that voice? And who said it? And what was the circumstance? In some instances, the circumstance is us being very, very young and misinterpreting what is being said to us. Maybe we're just about to run into traffic and our mother in a panic grabs us and says, don't be dumb, don't run into traffic. And what we hear as small children is, you are dumb. And we hold that forever. But if you look at it as a grown-up, you can see where that was said out of love and that we did not hear the full context. In the case of the abuse with my parent, 
what I did was I literally, it's going to sound very odd, but I literally, in a meditation, put on his head and became him. Hmm. I started having his memories as a child. I started understanding what could have created the pain and the anger that created such an abusive personality. And I discovered something. When you truly, completely submerge yourself in the other person, it's very hard to hate. And once you relinquish the hate for them, that piece of your soul comes back to you and you no longer hate yourself. And that to me was one of the biggest steps for my healing was not hating any longer, not hating him, not hating me, not hating my late husband and realizing I really love who I have become. I'm a strong, empathic, compassionate person and as such I love me and I wouldn't have been me without all of these experiences hmm. so so far in this this, is, this has been fascinating very interesting I'm wondering if you can react to the idea that many individuals stay in an abusive relationship which you so beautifully said you know as long as the abuser makes the abuse a tolerable experience, people stay. And the second reason mm-hmm. I think that people stay, and they stay for lots of reasons, but the second reason that relates to your last comment is I feel like people feel like they always need to forgive. Oh, I'll just forgive him. He asks for forgiveness. He's going to, he says he's <laughs> going to do better. He says he's not going to do anymore. So can you make a huge distinction between releasing the hatred inside you from forgiving someone so that they can just redo the next and often worse form of abuse, because this is, a, this is what I call the forgiveness trap. Yes, I, I agree with you, and I did it over and over again with my, my husband. Um, the difference is very simple. You are not forgiving the act. You are not forgiving the abuse. The abuse is unforgivable. You are forgiving the person for their pain, for their, their incompleteness. You are allowing them to be who they are, but you stop allowing them to change who you are. And when you give them your power, they are changing who you are. They are making you weak and helpless. And if you decide you are no longer going to be weak and helpless, that means you will no longer accept the abuse. And if that means you must leave, then that's what you must do. I know what you're talking about, but there are so many different ways that people stay in bad situations, that some of which actually serve them. I mm-hmm. have a belief that if, you, if your life is truly toxic, you will make a change. If it is not truly toxic, you are receiving a benefit. In my case, because I had grown up believing that love had to hurt, I was receiving a very negative version of love, 
by being in an abusive relationship. My mother, on the other hand, remained within her abusive relationship until she died. And I remember as a child having immense guilt because my mother would say to us, I would leave, but I have nowhere to go, and I have you kids to take care of. I can't leave. I'm stuck. So, of course, then that Mm -hmm. added to my guilt and my feeling of worthlessness. And later, when I was in my 40s, and I was making all these changes in the way I viewed my past, I realized we children had been out of the house for 20 years. But my mother was still there. So that started me thinking about why some people stay even when they claim they don't want to be there. And I realized some people stay for security. Some people stay because it actually gives them power. They can use the abuser to do the work they don't want to do. Some people stay out of fear. They don't believe they can make it on their own. So everybody has different reasons for staying in relationships that don't work. But the big thing here is if something is truly, truly toxic, you won't stay. So I guess for some people it has to get so toxic, and that depends on the person. For me it was the fact that I realized he was going to kill me that got me out of there. Thank goodness you had just enough self-love to say, oops, I don't want to die. <laughs> this, is not, this is not what yes, I want to happen you know what, to me. But you know what, though? It depends on the abuser again. And one of the things that I'm sure everybody knows is the fact that often people who are used to abuse have the ability to return to it. Yeah. So they've made a healthy comeback. In my case, um, I married my second husband, who was an incredible man. And he treated me like a princess, and life was really wonderful. I, I truly believed I was with my soulmate. Everything was perfect. And when I turned 40, he dropped over dead of a heart attack. Oh, wow. Suddenly, unexpectedly. So it started the cycle again in me, the unworthiness cycle, the, oh, my gosh, I should have known he was going to die. I should have saved him. I should have, should have, should have, okay, all those guilt words, the should have, would have, could have words. So they all started playing again. And so the next relationship I found was with a narcissist, a true and utter narcissist. Oh dear. Who had me convinced that if I did not die, my son would. Narcissists are so wonderful at convoluting (laughs) other people's thinking. And he truly had me convinced that if I lived, that my son would die. My son was all I had left. I really utterly contemplated suicide. I thought to myself, it was my fault my husband had died. I should have been able to save him. And now it would be my fault if something happened with my 13-year-old son. 
and I came very close. I think mm-hmm. the reason I didn't do it was I was surrounded by other people who loved me and really saw him for who he was. Mm-hmm. And through a whole series of events, I began to fight for my sanity again and came out of this period of self-hate again. So it is not something that magically occurs and all of a sudden all of the past behaviors go away. It is something that needs to be worked on continuously in one's life. Our circumstances change, our thinking changes, our realities change. And when those things change, sometimes it activates other unconscious beliefs that we have that weren't necessarily showing their ugly heads until that point. So we have to be aware. We have to listen to our thoughts more than just one time to clean them out. I make it a practice to meditate. I make it a practice to listen, not just sit quietly, not just program or creatively meditate. I do spend at least one day a week in which all I do is listen. And then I write down what I heard even if a lot of it didn't make sense, and then later look at it again. And I'm really often surprised at the things I learned that I wasn't even fully conscious were going on. So that's another tool that I find essential in my toolbox of helping myself stay well. Helping myself not... Go Go ahead. No, I don't want to stop you in the middle not, of the idea. Go ahead. Helping yourself. Go ahead. Not get, not buy into the toxicity. The world <laughs> is filled with toxic energy right now. <clears throat> Pardon me. And it's no very easy for us to get stuck in other people's toxicity. And when we do, that can activate some of that old programming again, that helplessness, that feeling of frustration and anger that, Often those of us who spent our early years being abused take that and put it inward instead of some of us put it outward as well. But often it goes inward and becomes deep depression and helplessness again. So Mm -hmm. you must be cleaning out that toxicity on a regular basis. I think that the ability to identify what's toxic, what's toxic thinking, what's toxic intrusions from outside, what's toxic uh, contemplations, mind control, you know, so forth and so on. The the ability to identify it, uh, to point to it, requires an individual to to be aware that there is good and bad. It's polarity thinking, I understand, it's good and bad. There's dark, there's light, there's there's evil and there's there's holiness. There is the presence of something that you do not want to engage with. Um, or that if you're going to engage with it, you want to have the powers and the tools and the influencing capacities if you're going to engage somehow in, in trying to change something. So one thing I appreciated about your, your three uh, novels that were all interconnected, uh, one's called uh, Create Space, Be the Light, 
create space, becoming the light and create space. Oh, I guess it's just create space. Fighting darkness. There we go. I'm calling create space. That's just the PDF number. So these are three books, and each of them have the presence of something to fight off, to ward off, to become a warrior against, with lots of amazing and very important tools for people to tune into. And I'm wondering if you would be willing to transition into talking some about these tools, because they are metaphysical, they're spiritual, they're soulful, they're mind-hacking, uh, they're, they're beyond the ordinary tools that are offered by a physician or a pharmacist or a friend, uh, hopefully not beyond a psychotherapist, but yes, even <laughs> psychotherapists may not even approach these. I know that I do, but I was so glad that you did in your book. So uh, can you walk us into the toolboxes that these three interesting novels uh, offer in a pleasant and surprising set of ways? Well, I think, maybe I should go into why I wrote the books to begin with. Okay. Um, Watching what was going on with the youth in our country, the extremes of anger that would cause someone to walk into a school and kill their classmates, watching the depression that I was seeing around me in a lot of the youth, I am aware I am an intuitive, and I believe that it is a survival tool. Years ago, I was going to do a lecture at an Episcopal teen group, and I knew that one of the questions that they would ask me was, why was I psychic and they weren't? So I thought, hmm, that's a really good question. So I sat down to meditate and I asked my guides, who I believe are my guardian angels, who spent, that I spent the greater part of my childhood using as a protection. Uh, I asked them, so what makes me different? And they said, it's very simple, that before we became a mechanized society that empowered governments and police forces and armies to protect us, we needed to have instincts, more like animals, to sort of know what was safe, what wasn't safe, where to move, um, when earthquakes might come, things like that. But as we became more socialized, more civilized, those things got either shut down by society or family or religion, or they just got not used. And in the case, in my case, I needed them to survive my childhood, so I never shut them down. I also was lucky enough to have a sister. In the book, I used grandmother, but it was actually my sister that used cute little tools to keep me psychically open. So those tools were she and I would be driving, and she would say to me, how many red lights are we going to hit on the way home? And I would try to ascertain psychically how many red lights. And every time I was correct, then she would congratulate me. She would hug me. Children need that kind of affirmation that they're doing things well. I didn't get that from my parents. 
So when she gave me that, it allowed me to keep my psychic abilities more open and to attempt to hone them even further. So that made me also more aware of energy. I started understanding when the energy in our home was becoming darker and darker, and I knew that meant that my father would be exploding anytime soon. I knew it meant it. And then I would either hide or try to, to change the energy in some way. Um, so it was a defense mechanism, a way of survival for me. And I show that in the Ariana books. And so I started realizing that the energy on the planet was also becoming pretty toxic and that those kids that perhaps were open like I was open as a child but didn't know it and didn't know how to deal with it in positive ways, didn't have a sister or a mother or a brother or a grandmother to help them know that they're not freaks or bad or demonic, um, could think that they were crazy or something awful was going on within them, and then they could become that way. They could become angry and violent. So I thought writing the books and explaining psychic ways to handle some of this energy might help. And that's why I wrote the Ariana series. And in writing the series, and I know other authors have said this before, but I know it to be true in my case, the characters in the series, which are a group of freshmen in college, wrote themselves. Ariana certainly has pieces of my life in her, but not all of her. Um, But every one of these characters wrote themselves. And every one of these characters would be in some way or another, either by themselves or society, considered to be misfits. There was something about their past that was very toxic. There was an experience or multitudes of experiences that made either them feel like they were bad or isolated. And in the books, I show metaphysical ways and spiritual ways and just hands-on ways that you can understand that you may have some abilities and how to work with them and how to, when we come together with others, how those things grow and become more um, powerful, that we were all meant to be linked, working together for a common good. And when we do that, we empower each other to the point where nothing can get us. And so I use the metaphor of the dark. And the dark is a metaphor for our own darkness within. There is no such thing as outer darkness. Outer darkness is your own fears being projected to others, to situations. And everything is perception. How you perceive an incident makes that incident good, bad, or indifferent. One of my favorite authors is an author named Viktor Frankl. 
And I think why he was one of my favorite authors was the fact that his visions of enduring life in a Nazi concentration camp are one of the most spiritual, most insightful I have ever read. And this is what, we, what I was trying to show in my books a bit, was that everything is perception, and if you look at your perceptions, shift them even 20, de- 20 degrees, they become completely different. So the I'm book wondering... goes into a lot of can, the can book I just goes into it? a lot of meta. Yes, go ahead. <laughs> I love that I could just actually do this whole interview without just saying anything because you are are so <laughs> full and ready of doing it. Let me just ask you about something. You know, you said everything is perception. And again, I want to go back to um, an individual being abused is not a perception. It is a reality. Uh, an, an individual being treated with narcissistic intent or mind control, that's a reality. And so I, uh-huh. I, I want to caution, when you say everything's perception, I want to kind of caution that and maybe see if it would be accurate to say the following. And that the following is, is that as soon as you're able to say to yourself, I want to perceive this situation differently in a way that empowers me to take good care of myself. So if I am in the middle of being abused by someone, that abuse is real. And that darkness and that other person being expressed Mm -hmm. to me is real. And so don't just think, oh, gosh, I must be misperceiving that person. They're not really dark. I'm just just taking it in the wrong way. Because that's what I'm afraid people are going to hear you saying. No, that perception of that abuse is accurate. You're clear thinking. That is something there. But what you want to do is change your perception about who you are so that exactly. you in that moment so you in that moment can say instead of I am being a victim in this in this circumstance, I understand that may be one reality, but if I assume that that's a perception, I'm now going to assume that there must be a solution to me taking really good care of myself in this moment that I need to just kind of see if I can discover. So I'm going to perceive myself as a problem solver on my own, on my own behalf, not necessarily right. to stop that person from abusing me because now I'm too involved in stopping them from their darkness. Instead, what can I now perceive myself as a solution maker that can now shift me into somehow solving this situation so I am not engaged in being abused? So uh, I yes. hear you saying right in the background, this is a big difference from what you're saying, at least from the way I'm a fearful people might take it. What do you think? I, I totally agree with what you're saying. It is very typical within the metaphysical community to see something wrong, know it's wrong, but think all you have to do is meditate and throw light on it, and somehow that makes it right. Yes, you can perceive some, something as wrong and move to work on it and still be a spiritual person. So it is wrong in any case that anyone physically, mentally, or emotionally seeks to harm another. That is never right. That perception is real. But the perception of how you handle it, the perception of who you are in any circumstance can be shifted easily with just a little bit of work. And that's 
if you're in a circumstance that is unchangeable, like Viktor Frankl was, he couldn't get out of the Nazi concentration camp. So he had only a few ways to perceive that situation, and he chose to perceive himself as a victor within it. That's what I'm talking about, but it doesn't mean you stay in something. The door is wide open. You choose not to go because you perceive that you still need to be there for the other person. Then you are choosing to be the victim. So, yes, you're absolutely correct. I think that also what's so nice about Viktor Frankl is that he talks about his mind being the only space that the Nazis could not infiltrate mm-hmm. if he so willed it to be so and that many other people did surrender their mind and, and and not surrendering your mind to a situation is a whole nother discussion but what you are saying is that if you have access to your own mind then regardless of your external situation you can still do something related to it um, even if it's just within your own mind and that that can be relevant I think that your mother, the example of your mother, I'm not wanting to pick on your mother, but um, that she in her own mind perceived that she could not survive taking her children and herself out of that situation, that there was no way that she could finance herself or work her way through that. And that was very culturated. That was the social rules. Mm -hmm. That was the way women saw themselves. So she had bought into, she was perceiving the world from that perspective as if that were reality and truth. Um, And yet... Um, even when that perception, when that reality wasn't true, you guys were gone, she still perceived a need to stay. And um, so it's this ability to stay in the mind, okay, right now I feel like I have no way out of this horrible situation. I'm going to pretend, I'm going to pretend for a moment that there is possibly a number of ways to be out of the situation, but that I just don't know what they are yet. And even that little bit of light in your mind opens you up to exploring what solutions might exist in order for you to get out of a really bad situation. Okay, I've been hearing so many reactions. I want you to take it away. What are you thinking? Well, I'm thinking you're absolutely correct, and this is absolutely true with anything intuitive as well because the bottom line to everything is having your mind open enough to look at all the possibilities and even those that you might not think are there there could be dozens so for instance you may perceive three or four possible solutions to any problem and then you talk to a couple of your friends and you'll find three or four new ones if there are three possibilities there are probably 300 and having our minds open open enough to not only seek other ways of looking at circumstances and situations but opening our minds enough to understand that perhaps we're not seeing it clearly is a very important part of anybody's healing i know when i was with that narcissist I had two of my friends who kept saying what are you doing Joni this isn't you you're stronger than this don't you see what he's doing and I did not want to perceive that what they were saying was right because I needed to be 
in my mind, a savior for this person. I now know that was to make up for my husband's death, that if I could save this person, then somehow that would um, take away all the negative feelings I was having about my husband's death, which was, of course, wouldn't have worked. But if I had taken a moment to breathe, which we don't do enough of, we don't breathe, we don't take time to, to really focus on our breathing, take deep breaths, stop and listen, look, experience. We're off to something else too fast. And this is particularly true when we don't want to look at something. So when my friends were advising me to look at things from a different perspective, I didn't want to. And that should have been a red flag to me that something deeper was happening, and it wasn't. And now it is. When a friend of mine makes a statement, I have a very good friend that has a way of putting it that I love. If somebody calls you an ass, you can blow it off. If two people call you an ass, you can still blow it off. If three people call you an ass, you better buy yourself a saddle. (laughs) <laughs> so basically when and when your friends if your friends really are friends you can trust who will tell you the truth are saying to you there's something wrong here and you need to look at it and you close your eyes to it that means to me you really do have to look at it something is going on that you're afraid to to observe in yourself that is actually disempowering you. So, yeah, the perceptions Mm -hmm. are very important. And one of the best ways to shift perspective is to ask other people. You know, this is, and again, with metaphysical or psychic things, I'm getting a feeling about something. Um, This is what I think is going on. Uh, help me with this. Is this, am I just in an anxiety attack? Um, Am I proceeding down a road that says that the outcome could be like this? What's going on with me? And it could truly be intuitive or it could truly be um, that you have seen enough signposts that tell you what's coming, whatever it is, though, thinking that it's bad or demonic or running from it only creates more anxiety. And so it is important for people to examine their feelings about their feelings, about their intuitions, about their judgments, and look to see if if that's what they really believe or what they were taught to believe. I'm and a little in bit the Ariana, yeah. okay. so I'm a little bit confused. You're, are you talking about your, are looking at your own intuition as demonic or you're looking at uh, this person who is perpetrating some evil towards you? Uh, I, no, I'm a little bit confused. I'm talking, yeah. about, I'm talking about self. That in the Ariana book, a lot of it talks about your inner struggles and how to deal 
one-on-one personally with your inner struggles and how to deal with your inner struggles with other people. And one of the things many people in, at least in my world, were raised with was that anything intuitive or psychic or empathic was demonic. Somehow it was against religion. Consequently, what happens to a person who is opening up psychically, who perhaps is quite intuitive, if that old programming is telling them that this is demonic? In essence, so it, it, can, there, I, can, I, can I suggest yes. that it, it, it may be that there was, that, that in ancient society, like 300 A.D., People were told that their extraordinary powers were bad and that that was perpetuated in part in order to keep people suppressed and oppressed by the, yes. the Yeah. And so have we perpetuated this sense of I need to stay powerless and weak and uninformed mm-hmm. so as I don't enter into the dark world versus, oh, my gosh, I'm amazingly powerful and capable. Uh, and, I, and I need exactly. to explore that. Okay. Yeah. Now I'm understanding. Okay. Keep going. Yeah, I have written a third, uh, a fourth book called You Were Born Psychic because I believe everyone has psychic ability, that they're not extraordinary, that they are just like a muscle we haven't, most people have not used frequently, and that all you need to do to reactivate a muscle is some physical therapy, and in this case, some mental therapy. And you can reopen what you already have and already know. But again, if perceptions are your deeper, your deeper unconscious, subconscious perceptions, your old programming is that this is a negative thing, then you will panic or you will reject. But what happens when it more so? So, When I wrote the Ariana series, a woman contacted me by email and said that her nine-year-old granddaughter had been institutionalized with a diagnosis of schizophrenic. And she sent me some pictures in the email of some drawings her granddaughter had done of lights around a person. And one caption showed beautiful rainbow lights and it said, mommy when she's happy. And then the next one showed captioned where the lights were dimmed and foggy and and they were there, but they were much grayer. And the caption was mommy when she's mad at me. And the grandmother said she had been hearing voices to tell her to calm down, to relax, everything was going to be okay, and all of this got her diagnosed as schizophrenic. And oh, the wow. grandmother was was wondering, and of course they put her on lots of medications, and the grandmother was wondering if the child could be psychic. Beautiful. Now, what she what she just described to me was my childhood. 
I saw Mm -hmm. lights around people. I could sense when the energy was off, the lights Mm -hmm. would dim or get weird. I had my guides talking to me all the time. It started me thinking and wondering how many children are, in this case, institutionalized, or if they come from a very religious family, taught that they're evil, they're bad, or they have some sort of demon within them, all because of a misunderstanding of latent abilities that we all have. So that was another reason for writing the Ariana series and trying to explain trying to explain ways past pain and also ways into spirituality. And then I wrote the other one, You Were Born Psychic, in order to help people who might wonder, could this be me, um, to utilize some of this. But in the beginning of my book, You Were Born Psychic, I go into tools to release the past tools to let go of pain, to let go of fear, because I don't believe you can progress to open up things until you know what your true beliefs about them are. That's well so said. I mean, truly, I, I think that, you know, everybody has to face what were the messages of powerlessness that they were given, mm-hmm. uh, either, either because your parents lived powerlessly, uh, one or both, or mm-hmm. either because parents tried to make the child powerless because of uh, an attempt to create discipline <laughs> or punishment, uh-huh. or or a society that says, you know, you, oh, this is what you have, this is your limit, you're going to have to learn to live with it. To what degree do we experience our powerlessness or our limit, our limits, in such a way that we own it and we brand ourselves with it, and then we and then we we carry the burden of it. And it sounds like your books and your own experience is to take that burden off your shoulders, to recognize those traps and those details, and then to catapult yourself into exploring these different types of powers. Can you catapult exactly. into some of those powers? Well, for instance, it is absolutely natural, and you hear about it all the time, For mothers to have, and I'm putting quotes around this word, feelings about something with their children. Yes. So a mother gets a feeling that something's going to happen to her child. She gets a phone call from the school nurse. The child has fallen and cut themselves badly. Okay? So we call those feelings, we even call those women's intuition. But psychic ability by any other name is still psychic ability. Right. The difference mm-hmm. between them and me is I have tuned into them. I know how to use them. I know how to bring them. I know how to let go of them. Um, they don't eat at me constantly. Uh, so there's that. There's people like this little girl that see auras, the lights around people. And and the thing that I find really cute is that I'll have people, when they start accepting they see auras, will say to me, but I see auras around dead things too, like uh, tables and chairs. Everything has energy. That's what the aura Mm -hmm. is. It's your energy. And so the person that made that table 
or anybody who's been in the vicinity of that table leaves an imprint. Most of us, most of us have had the experience years ago, I was a realtor and I saw this a lot, had the experience of walking into a home or somebody trying to sell their home and you walk in and you just don't feel good in that house. Mm-hmm. Nobody's died there. It's nothing as, as tragic as that, but you just don't feel good. Well, when I would be around groups of realtors, we would do these things where, you know, you'd, you'd go through house, a group of homes and give the listing agent feedback. So there would be like 10 of us. And when I'd hear enough of them saying, this house just doesn't feel good to me, um, and they never saw that as psychic, then I would research the house. And sure enough, 90% of the time, there had been divorce involved or some a bankruptcy, something that would leave an energy on that house of desperation, of tragedy, of fear, whatever. And these realtors who did not consider themselves in any way psychic, often they were male, and males tend to shut it down a little bit more, um, would have been shocked if I've said you had a really good psychic experience then. They would never have considered that. So throughout (laughs) our lives, yeah, throughout our lives, we are continually having these things but calling them other names. How many times in therapy have you heard of people when they've lost someone, someone to death, and they have a dream where that person has come and talked to them. Absolutely. Well, my belief is that's, that's not a dream. That mm-hmm. is your loved one coming to say, I'm well, I'm good, I love you, or to finish up something, all right? Um, but people will call it a dream. Some people now are getting more open to the fact that maybe their loved one did come to say goodbye. That's opening. I'm seeing that happening more and more. Um, all of us have had the experience of having the phone ring and we know without looking at our phone who's calling. Right. All right. Many of us have had the experience of thinking about somebody and then running into them that day. We haven't seen them in 15 years, but all of a sudden we're thinking about them and then we run into them at the mall. So all of these are not coincidences. These are all natural, normal ways to use our psychic abilities. And if we can do those, we can expand them, do so much more. We can um, empower ourselves to make decisions a little better. If we have a clearer picture of where we want to be and how to get there and what some of the traps we might set for ourselves uh, psychically. And, oh, here's a really good one, and I hear this very frequently recently. Um, you're, you're leaving to go somewhere. And all of a sudden you remember seven things that need to get done real quickly before you leave. So you end up leaving 10 minutes late, and on your road, 10 minutes before, there was a a really bad accident that you just happened to miss. Right. 
I've been hearing about, go ahead. Yeah, uh, I'm racing with the clock here. This has been an amazing conversation. I know that we just have a a little bit of time left. Can you uh, draw illustrations between using these type of powers and being able to rescue yourself from dark energies or from dark situations? Because I know that a lot of your books, uh, like the last two, spent a lot of time helping people learn how to shift out of the darkness and into either being influencers or being warriors or, or knowing how to extricate themselves from a situation quickly. Uh, so can you talk about the use of different powers along those lines in terms of helping individuals escape from abusive well, or traumatic situations? Well, first of all, I don't like the word powers. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Their oh, okay. ability. Okay. 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 Fair enough. So yeah. one of one of the ways that you can, um, let's say, ward off negativity is a, a very simple use of the white light of protection. First of all, I usually ask people if they believe in a loving God presence. And if the answer to that is yes, then I ask them if they believe that God is all powerful, that no matter what the energy of God is the most powerful energy there is. If they say yes, then I tell them that before they do anything, that means before they go out of their house, because remember, the energies are really complex right now, and many people are empathic, and so they absorb the energy and don't even know they're not, it's not theirs, so they're taking on other people's anger and fear, So you put this, you envision yourself within this bright bubble of white light, this impenetrable bubble of white light. It is transparent. You can see through it. It follows you everywhere. It surrounds you. And anything that isn't for your best, your highest and best, bounces right off of it. Anything that you need to have gets absorbed and you get it. Now, there are times during the day when you might have to make it a little bit more opaque. (laughs) Make it so that less gets in because we all have times where we're in situations where we know the energy around it is going to be super negative. Perhaps you have a problem with a family member and you know you have to see that family member that day. So stop the negative thoughts before you go meditate, release, fill yourself with love, surround yourself with the white light, then go visit them. So that's a real easy one. That Hmm, one works very, very well. But Hmm. there's a few caveats to it. You must believe that the energy of the God, the source, the being you believe in is the strongest energy out there, that nothing else is stronger. Because if you don't believe that, then anything can penetrate that. That's why you have to go in and really look at your old programming. All righty, meditation. To me, meditation is a blessing. It allows you to really get a handle on who you are, what you truly think. It allows you to release those things you no longer want. 
you can't accept negativity into you if you don't believe it. So if you truly believe that you are a wondrous work of the universe, that you in itself were born perfect, some things have been layered over that, but you yourself are perfect. If you really believe that, then no one and nothing can really, really hurt you, not, not permanently. So the first thing you might need to do, and this was something I did that was very helpful to me, and I really believe I may have had an odd out-of-body experience, but I took a picture of myself as a, a toddler, and I stared in the picture, and I got lost in this picture. And it transported me to the kitchen of my family's first home. And there on the linoleum floor was this little girl I was staring at. And she was crying. And she was feeling lost and helpless and hopeless and very alone. So I sat down in front of her as the grown me, and we played together. And I held her on my lap, and I said, I love you, and I know that things feel really, really bad right now, and I know that you're hurting, and there will be times you won't want to go on. But I'm here today to tell you that your life gets to be miraculously wonderful. And I did that for about 20 minutes, came back to my here and now space, and went, oh, my God, I saved myself. And I truly believe, I believe this with every ounce of my energy, because I felt this. I think I saved my own life. I think that I was one of my own guides that went back and helped this child. Hmm, That's interesting. And that may sound really bizarre, but the experience was so overwhelmingly glorious, I can't hmm. tell you. Hmm. Fascinating. It's kind of, it kind of dovetails with uh, some of the, NP, the neuro-linguistic programming techniques where they say, let's go back into your past and let's rewrite your past. Uh, uh-huh. And, and, and that, that has an impact on the psychology or the brain wiring of those experiences and, of course, your example catapults it even more into the multidimensionality of life and spirit and spiritual existence and, and such. It's fascinating. Oh, well, we have two more minutes. Do you want to try to give us one more tidbit in that time? Oh, boy, I don't know if, I, if two minutes will do it. But the most <laughs> important thing, I think, is that belief manifests behavior. So... If, you, if you're affirming, lots of people talk about affirmations, but right. affirmations don't work if your core belief is different. If you believe that you're fat and ugly because you're 10 pounds overweight, then believing that you are beautiful, your body is gorgeous, you know, if, if you keep affirming that, you, you will not be able to override the old programming. First, you have to go in and really, really begin to love your body where it's at before you can release it 
to move on to the body that you think you want. And one of the best ways to do that is to understand that anybody who truly, honestly loves you is not going to care if you're 10 or 15 pounds overweight. They care about the being that you are, not the body you're encased in unless that body is ill or, or in, need, in desperate need of being fixed. But most of us buy into, again, the old programming without ever thinking about it. You know, I'm ugly because I weigh 120 when I should weigh 110. But the last, one of the last gifts my late husband gave me, I had been over 200 pounds, and then I went down to a size 2. And I did it all through programming, not through diet. And I asked him, I said, so how did you like me better, big or small? And he said, you were never big. And I showed him a picture of me at over 200 pounds, and he said, honey, I never even noticed. Hmm. And that, to me, was love. Hmm. Hmm. So you have to change your core beliefs before you can manifest what you really want. If you Mm. see yourself as a victim, you will continue to victimize yourself and let others victimize you. If Mm. you see yourself as a victor, a warrior, a beautiful, strong being of light, and you really keep seeing that, guess who you are? Mm. And And that circles us around to that experience of perception being so vitally important to work on. Oh, wow. Thank you so much. This has been mind-bending. And I do hope everybody enjoys the materials that are offered on intuitivedirections.com, where Joan offers her books and her services that she's barely even touched on in terms of what she has to offer. So, Joan, in parting, anything else you'd like to say as a, as a Pharaoh do? Just that this has been a wonderful gift that I've been able to share the knowledge that I have been given over these many years. And I thank you so much for giving me the platform to do it. Oh, yes, absolutely. I'm so glad you joined us. And and listeners, I'm very glad that you get to hear this. And what's so nice about a podcast, you can hear this over and over and over again and kind of digest the many aspects of what Joan had to offer you today. So everybody, ooh, life. I mean that. Take hold of your life. Take hold of who you are and to the best of your ability in this current moment. Seize an opportunity to see yourself as a person who can solve problems with the influence powers and take hold of your own existence for the betterment of you and others around you. I wish you all well. Bye-bye, Joan. Bye-bye. Thank you.